Hello, humans. Hello, humans. Hello, humans of the world. It's me, Ellie Krug, on Ellie 2.0 Radio on AM 950, the shining beacon in the Midwest. Um, maybe the shining beacon in the world. I'm talking about the radio station, not me, although you can throw me into that category. Here I am, your favorite idealist, back with another show. I don't know. I'm being a little presumptuous about favorite idealist. So we have a great show. The big interview is with Alberta Gillespie, uh, the founder of one of the founders of Black Women Rising, and you're going to learn about her. She's a candidate um, running against uh, Betty McCollum in the fourth congressional district here in Minnesota. Um, but she's also somebody that you will enjoy listening to. And in my C block, I'm going to talk about reconnecting with my mentee of seven and a half years. But let me begin with our featured idealist. A household name in most Twin Cities households um, and maybe other parts of the country, I am speaking about Maya Moore. Now, you know, most of you know that Maya, longtime um, uh, uh, Lynx player, uh, very, I mean, one of the most prolific scorers in uh, the M uh, w um, NBA, Women's National Basketball Association. She is also um, a, an Olympian. Uh, she is somebody who is intense on the courtroom. Excuse me, on the court, not the courtroom. Sorry, lawyer here. But I'm highlighting Maya for something incredible that she's done far off the courts. In 2019, Maya Moore announced that she was going to take a break from playing for the Lynx, where she had an incredibly successful career, in order to spend more time with her family and then to also, at the same time, work on criminal justice reform. While she was committed to a criminal justice reform in the broadest sense, she had a specific case of wrongful conviction and imprisonment in mind. So, the backstory here is, the case that I'm speaking about involved a man named Jonathan Irons, who is now 40, who at the age of 16 was convicted of burglary and assault, um, that of shooting a crime victim in the head. Irons, like Maya Moore, is African-American. There was no DNA evidence, no physical evidence, no evidence of any kind other than a word of uh, the victim linking Irons to the crime. Yet an all-white jury um, in St. Louis uh, convicted Irons uh, of uh, the crimes, and he was Irons was then sentenced to 50 years in prison. While in prison, Irons engaged in the services of the campus, you know, ministry. So the ministry, you know, for the for the prison, and through that, he met a man who was Maya Moore's great uncle. Um, the great uncle was involved in prison ministry. And the great uncle um, talked with his family about this man, Irons, Jonathan Irons, about how Irons had repeatedly talked about being innocent, um, and Irons professed his innocence. And it so took Maya Moore's uncle that Maya, Maya Moore's great uncle uh, eventually introduced Maya to Jonathan Irons. Um, she was only 17 at the time, still in high school 
way before she went to University of Connecticut, way before she became an Olympian, way before she got involved with the Lynx. Throughout her college, Maya Moore's college at University of Connecticut, and then through her start and, and rise in, in, in WNBA, Maya stayed in touch with Jonathan Irons. And then Maya did something that I've talked about here. She self-educated herself, okay? Sorry about the double words there, on how the criminal justice system is rigged. She did do that. And, um, and rigged in particular against people who are um, people who are of color other than the white color. And as Moore stated in a March 27, 2020 interview on St. Louis Public Radio, okay, Moore said this about her self-education and what she came to find. Quote, Criminal justice reform is important to me because people are important. This isn't something that is optional because I have a really high view of humanity. I see people as very valuable, made in the image of God, and in every single life that matters. If there are a group of people, like I mentioned earlier, the ones who, that don't have as much financial means, the ones who are marginalized, who are coming from the history of our country that we come from, then it's very clear that the challenges of, that our, criminal, our country brings relative to criminal justice for black and brown bodies is large. Criminal justice is one of the most devastating ways that you will see injustice in our country, unquote. I, had, I did a little bit of ad-libbing there, just so you know. Okay, and so Moore was coming from that kind of perspective of understanding that the ju criminal justice system is not at all fair, and it's not particularly fair for people of skin color other than white. And so Moore did something incredible. She paused what had been a stellar, stellar career to work in part to free Jonathan Irons. She used not only her time, but she used her money. She partially paid for the legal costs involved in freeing Irons. And um, Maya Moore never missed a single court hearing for Jonathan Irons, even though all of that was taking place in St. Louis. In early July, so just a couple of weeks ago, it all worked after a state court judge overturned Irons' conviction for lack of evidence. By that time, Jonathan Irons had spent 23 years, more than half of his life, in prison. Thank God he's only 40 years old. He had been, he had been arrested at age 16. They tried him as an adult when he was 16. An all-white jury convicted him and he spent 23 years in prison. But this is not the first time that Maya Moore and other Lynx players took a public stand for social justice um, um, uh, at, around yeah, black and brown people being harmed by America's criminal justice system. As reported in a July 3 New York Times piece by Kurt Streeter, in 2016, after Philando Castile was killed, we're all familiar with that, Along with Alton Sterling, 
being killed in Baton Rouge, and along with the fact that five Dallas police officers were gunned down in downtown Dallas, you may recall that. Some of those police officers were African-American, but it was about all five of those officers. Maya and her teammates did their pregame warm-up wearing T-shirts with the name of Castile and Sterling and with the Dallas police shield on it. Those T-shirts also had the phrases justice and accountability and Black Lives Matter. They did this. They're wearing this. All Maya and her teammates. This is... This is way back. This is in 2016. And um, it was controversial, but you will be forgiven if you never heard about that protest because, as Streeter pointed out, female athletes, particularly black female athletes, get far less attention than male athletes. But you know what? Maya and her teammate protest, that one in 2016, um, came before the real protest that we all heard about. And that was a few weeks before a man named Colin Kaepernick, another idealist, knelt during the national anthem for the very first time. We know how that all went for Colin we also know what that meant for our country. And as Maya told St. Louis Public Radio, hold on, quote, and you have a platform to speak up for those who don't have a voice. I just say, athletes, if you're going to use your voice for things, then do it with integrity. You do it with poise and humility and really learn and be committed to the causes, unquote. You do it with integrity. Maya Moore, I bet you didn't know she was such an idealist. She gave up. I mean, she's at least paused a career that could have continued to make her a lot of money. But she did it, she paused it, to help a man in particular, but to help change the world, to help change America. That is what idealists do. They do. Okay, when we come back from our break, we'll speak to uh, um, Miss Gillespie about her candidacy, and you're going to really enjoy, I think, what she has to say. Thanks. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug, Ellie Dubordeaux Radio. Uh, follow me on Twitter, at Ellie Krug. We'll be back in a second. Thanks. And then I think about my fear of motion. Did you know there's deconstruction funding available now for homeowners and contractors in Hennepin County? If you are embarking on a remodel or teardown this year, consider hiring Better Futures Minnesota's deconstruction crews instead of demolition. By taking a house or building apart by hand instead of destroying it with heavy equipment, the materials can be reused or recycled instead of going into the landfill. It is much more cost-effective and is a carbon-neutral solution. 
Go to betterfuturesminnesota.com and look under business services to learn more. Brending Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. And we're back on AM 950 LE 2.0 Radio. Okay, Maya Moore. Read up on her. Yes, make sure you you watch the clips of her past wonderful basketball performances, but read up on her idealism. And now for the big interview, and I'm really thrilled to be saying that we have another idealist. I have Alberta Gillespie here, who is running um, uh, for the 4th uh, Congressional District. Uh, she's going to be in the primary against Betty McCollum and several other people, but we have she is also one of the founders of Black Women Rising, Alberta Gillespie. Welcome to Ellie 2.0 Radio. Thank you, Ellie. I'm so glad to be here with you. Oh, I'm thrilled to have you. I am absolutely thrilled to have you. Now, Alberta, um, you know, this is really the first time you and I have had a chance to talk. Tell us, can you tell us a little bit about you? Okay, are you native to, I, I, I did a little research, but I couldn't figure it out. Are you native <laughs> to Minnesota? You know, where did you grow up? Tell us a little bit about um, who you are. So I am not necessarily native to Minnesota, but I've been here for almost 27 years. And so I originally hail from Mississippi, the great state of Mississippi. So I'm a Southern belle, if you will. Um, but I've been living in the East Metro area for the last 27 years, I currently reside in Woodbury. Okay. So I Go just ahead. moved here. My husband's a 3Mer, and uh, that's how we ended up in Minnesota. Ah, okay. There you go. Okay, so, and, and right now we're in the midst of heat waves, so it's sort of Mississippi, right? <laughs> it is. I'm telling you, it's got a Mississippi kind of feel to it. <laughs> the humidity just makes me feel right at home. <laughs> and so, um, I did see that uh, you did have a stint working for, was it for the city of Minneapolis, and maybe you're still doing that with their census? Yeah, so I am still doing that work, actually, because, as you know, the pandemic has impacted everything. So the census has actually been extended um, to October 31st. Uh, so I am still doing that work, which is work that is very near and dear to me, because I feel like the census is the very foundation of democracy. For sure. So, yes. So trying to get people counted in a pandemic, which is not, is, it's, it's a little bit challenging. And, and uh, give us a little bit of, of other things that you have done or a, a little bit more of your background. So I've owned my own consulting business for about 18 years now, uh, strategic consultant, working with not-for-profits and corporations and school districts. So you just do, it kind of runs the gamut in terms of industry, um, just strategic consulting. So I've been doing that for quite some time. Okay. Okay. Well, great. What uh, Tell us about Black Women Rising. What was the genesis for it? Although I could probably guess. And, and <laughs> you know, who's involved with it? I know you're one of the founders. And, and tell us about it. So Black Women Rising, the mission of the organization is to leverage the collective power of Black women um, for the improvement of our community. And so 
It came to be because um, black women have been very active in politics and community and civic engagement for years, right? When you even think about the civil rights movement, oh, yeah. black women are... You know, they were the, the, the power behind that movement. Well, they were <laughs> Maybe also, not always. well, Rosa Parks, she was the face of it. <laughs> yep. She actually became the face, but there were so many more who, like Maya Angelou, who was also one of the powers behind, and that's kind of where we get our name from, Black Women Rising, and so because there's the poem Still at Rise, right? Right, <laughs> So yep. um, you may try me in the very dirt, but still like dust, I'll rise. So... Um, and that's, so the thing is that uh, our, our focus is really on how do we collectively really eradicate some of these things that are happening in our community, like all of the disparities that are happening from education to housing to jobs to health, that we have to take ownership of that. In order to do that, we have to have the seat at the policy table and at other tables. So it's not just about being an elected official. Sometimes it's about being on a board or a commission where we can have voice. It's about helping those women who've been elected to office have power behind those, that movement. So that is really kind of what Black Women Rising is about. What we found is that when we run for office or we are trying to be appointed to a board or commission, we're often not supported, particularly running for office. We can do the work, we can help get people elected, we can organize, we can coach, we can train, we can recruit, we can raise money, but we, we're not always supported when it's, when it's time to hold those seats, particularly if you're in a suburban area. And okay. so okay. there was no structure to support black women in their bids for office to be, have a seat at those tables. So here and there, and now we do have that, and that's Black Women Rising. And when did the organization come about? So we're still a pretty young organization. I say we're a toddler. So we're about four and a half, or preschool maybe, uh, four and a half years ago, a little over four and a half years ago. We had the very first meeting here at my house, and we had um, 30 black women show up for that, and it was phenomenal. And and is Black Women Rising, I mean, is it just uh, local, or is it part of more of a, a larger national movement? So right now it's, enti- you know, throughout the entire state of Minnesota, but primarily the, uh, the Twin Cities and the suburban areas, but we do have people a little further out. So it, right now it's just a Minnesota movement, but okay. what okay. was interesting is that before the pandemic, we had begun to start a chapter in Michigan because they reached out to us and wanted to be um, a, a part of Black Women Rising. And the pandemic has kind of put the kibosh on a lot of those things, right. at least for the moment. Okay, yeah. okay. And I, you know, I did go on your site. I mean, you have a number of women that are part of Black Women Rising. Um, I, I was counting, you know, somewhere in the vicinity of at least 20 people. Um, and how are they doing, you know, in their efforts to, uh, um, you know, either get elected or get appointed? So it's it's been really great. So we have women who um, we've produced what's called the Black Ballot for the last three years. So which have a lot of the candidates because people say we don't run for office and it's simply not true. <laughs> I'm like we do, and so that's why we produce that what we call the Black Ballot. So if you looked at that from previous years, a number of those women have been elected to office that we've supported: Chantel Allen for the school board, uh, Kissy Coakley for the city council in Minnetonka. Um, so there's a list of them. We supported Ruth Richardson, who's now in the House. Um, so there's a number of women that we've supported that have been elected to office. And I think now we can, oh, and we supported Angela Colony when she ran for county commissioner. So, um, and then we have, of course, have some women who didn't get elected as well. 
So uh, there is probably, it's a longer list because we don't have everyone on that list. Some of those people running don't really have primaries and they're running unopposed for like judge seats. But the women are doing really great. The energy has just been phenomenal. I think we had more women step out this year for office, including myself, because we just felt what I call that fierce urgency of now. So right. um, so we have more people on the ballot this year because we feel like the times, they demand it. And, you know, a lot of us, a lot of these women who are running right now, they had considered running for office maybe a little later, certainly not in a pandemic, <laughs> right? So right. this is not the ideal time to run for office. But when... Um, we heard George Floyd call out for his mother, before, <laughs> and he literally said his mama, yep. in that street. There was, was like, there's no other time. There's never going to be a right time, a better time. The time is now. And the pandemic also revealed to us the disparities that we were aware of, but it just really exposed those disparities in a new way. So we we had no choice but to step out in this way. That's how we felt. And so... We answered that call that George Floyd made in, the, in that street when he was being murdered. Well, okay, so uh, we're going to come back to that urgency uh, when we, but we've got to take a break, okay? Um, okay. And I want to talk about that a little bit. Then I want to talk more about you and um, and just some, you know, just some conversation, okay? All okay. right. So, listeners, we've been speaking with Alberta Gillespie, uh, who is one of the founders of Black Women Rising. She's also a candidate for the 4th Congressional District. When we come back, we'll talk with Alberta a little bit more. If you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com. Email me at elliejkrug at gmail. I love hearing from listeners. We'll be back in a second. Thanks. This is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 7 to 8 a.m. Many listeners know that I founded Human Inspiration Works, LLC, which trains on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming, diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on diversity and inclusion. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change the way they see the world. I'd love to help make your organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. Thank you. Hi, Alex of Better Futures, Minnesota. Does your business or organization need janitorial services, lawn care, or snow services? Obtain a free, no-obligation estimate from Better Futures, Minnesota when you mention that you heard about us on AM 950. Our supervised, hardworking, and affordable crews will handle your interior and exterior building and property maintenance needs while you help men in your community transform their lives and walk on a positive path to success. It's a win-win. To learn more, go to BetterFuturesMinnesota.com under Business Services. And we're back on LE 2.0 Radio on AM 950. We've been speaking with Alberta Gillespie. She is a candidate for the 4th Congressional District one of the founders of Black Women Rising. Alberta, before we took our break, we started. you started to talk about the impact of George Floyd's death, his mm-hmm. murder, and about how that even further energized the work that you are doing. Talk to me a little bit about this, okay? Um, now, I'm a, I'm a white-color uh, uh, transgender woman. Um, and by the mm-hmm. way, I refer to white people as white-colored because most white people don't believe that white's a color, okay? Um, okay. I'm and, sure you don't get a great response from... <laughs> uh, well, actually, that's not true. Actually, I, 
Actually, Do you? I, uh, I train on human inclusivity across the country. Oh, okay. And uh, frankly, uh, most of my audiences are like nodding when I say that. You know, now well, that's it's many, amazing. Well, but many of them, of course, haven't considered it before, and because uh, okay. because um, my approach is pretty disarming, uh, most people are like, you know what? And then I start hearing audience members talking about being white color. So, okay, <laughs> we got diverted down the, down that road. I didn't mean to do that, but um, no, that's interesting. Yep, yep, yep. And so, but I guess let's just talk about this. I mean, what you know, as a you know, as a black woman, African-American woman mm -hmm. in America right now, okay? Um, mm -hmm. What are you feeling? Are you feeling that there is is real change in the air? Or do you see this as another, oh. just another installment of same old, same old? I have my thoughts, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. You know what, Ellie? I, that's a really great question. And I, I will tell you, as a black woman in America, as an African-American woman, I am feeling a range of things. A, it's a roller coaster of emotions yeah. and um, that I'm experiencing, if I can be completely honest. And so, um, but again, when I go back to, I think what we all were feeling collectively was that fierce urgency of now. And the reason we felt that is because this time seemed to be different. Yeah. We have watched, like I just spoke at the... Um, Memorial, the uh, memorial service in the, uh, uh, for Philando Castile on, on yesterday. Okay. Um, you know, and, and yep. it was an honor to be able to do that. But, you know, when Philando Castile was killed on Facebook Live, there was, there was the marching, there was the outcry of someone. I marched, did all of those things, and then it stopped. And so since the murder of Philando, this has continued. So this is not new. We know about right. this. We see it. We see it all the time. And so, but this time seemed different. And I will tell you what was really encouraging was to look out and see this multiracial and this young group of people protesting, right? Because I will say a lot of times when these things happen, you look at the, 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 the people who were protesting and it was pretty homogeneous, it was mostly, you know, African-American folks. Yep, right? yep. This, that was not the case with this. This was very different. When you looked at that, I think Reverend Sharpton said it well. He had a little white girl who came up to him, and he thought she was going to say something, you know, negative, and she looked at him and said, she was about 12, she said to him, no justice, no peace. <laughs> right? That just sends, like, shivers down my spine now, because I think that is the hopeful piece for me. And But the other thing I know for sure, this is not the time to take our foot off the gas pedal, because if we do, we will return to what we had before. And so that is why I felt it so deeply within my spirit and the other people felt it as well, that this is the time we cannot go back to the status quo. We cannot allow those who've had these positions for 20 and 18 and 30 years to stay in those positions, regardless of how we feel about them as people. This is not personal in terms of do we like you? This is about true change. And if you've yep. been there for 18 or 20 years, you've been a part of the problem. Not maybe that you want it to be, but you have. It's just the fact. Well, and so that's what we were feeling. Well, and, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you. I mean, I'm actually loving everything that you're <laughs> saying, okay? Um, you know, the, I mean, the thing for me is that there has been an absolute lack of imagination and mm -hmm. a lack of courage. You know, right. we, we elect yep. leaders. Absolutely. We elect leaders, okay? Mm -hmm. um, yes. yes. And leaders are required to lead. <laughs> you know, I mean, right. you know, one of the, I mean, I love AOC. I mean, I mean, she, she's just kind of saying, I'm just going to go do my stuff. 
you know, and, um, mm-hmm. you know, but we don't have enough AOCs out there. And we don't. And um, we, we people have become afraid because having power, being in elected office has become the end of itself. And yes. it, everything is flipped. I mean, as a country, we're actually, <laughs> if you're elected, you're supposed to serve the people that are with you, you know, that have elected you. You're supposed to serve them. It's, they're not the, supposed yeah. to serve you. And, okay, so now we just started down another rabbit hole. I'm sorry, Alberta. No, <laughs> it's not a rabbit hole because it's really, it, it's, Ellie, it ties into everything that's happening right now. And, and, and that's how we feel is that you are here to serve the people. You serve at the pleasure of the people. It's a servant leadership position. It is not about you maintaining that seat, staying in power. Because people wanted to tell us, and they, you know, like, I get it, you know, that the incumbent, whom I have much respect for, because she's done some wonderful things on the environment. So it, I've actually knocked doors and introduced her at convention, so it's not anti-her. It's But as the leader, I need you to embrace the challenge of change. I need you to be using that platform in a way that will make life better for the people that elected you. And it is not better for people who are like, I haven't heard what I need to hear or seen what I need to see. If you look at anything, I know you know plenty about politics. Black women are the most loyal voting bloc. Oh, my the God. Democratic Party. They're going to they're going to change this yeah. country for us. <laughs> <laughs> right. But for being their most loyal voting bloc and consistent and reliable and all those things, we have received nothing for that. Very little at most. Yep. Right, and so that is unacceptable. But and and in the process, you've lost your children. Okay, we've lost our children, and <laughs> you and know. you asked me, Ellie, and this is true. So you asked me what I was feeling. So you know, when my son, I I remember Trayvon, the murder of Trayvon Martin, and I had a son at the time, and I still have a son <laughs> and a daughter. My husband and I, and he's older now, but he was a a little bit younger than Trayvon, and I'm tall, so he's tall, and. My husband's tall, and I, I had to tell him, I said, those games that you play with your friends, like Ding Dong Ditch out here in the suburbs, you can't do that anymore. I'm like, because people see you as an adult, so I'm afraid that they might kill him. I see Elijah McClain, who he just went yep. to go get a, a iced tea, and he's just walking home, yep. and he ends up murdered. And so for us as mothers, as sisters, as aunties, uh, and, and as yep. lovers, <laughs> all of those things, right? We see our, our family members, the people we love, being killed. And so you don't know when it's going to happen to you because you are, we are not safe. I, I, what People think, oh, this only happens in Minneapolis. I was like, Philando Castile was killed in Falcon Heights, which is in Congressional District 4. That's not Minneapolis. Mark Henderson, I live in Woodbury, was shot by three police as he escaped a kidnapper. He was 19 years old. That's where I live. Yeah. And that happened in 2012, and we don't talk about it, but it, but we feel it. And the city of Woodbury quietly settled with his mother a year ago. And so we feel that. And the thing we say about when black women rise, everyone rises, because we, we don't just look out for just black people. We look out for everyone. We always have. That's why we've been this reliable voting block, the people that they call the fundraisers and do all of these things. So, Al- so, okay, so Alberta, go we're going to, no, 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 I'm no, sorry. no, don't be sorry. Don't at all be sorry. My only regret is we don't have more time, but, but, and we only have about three minutes. Okay. Yes. But I want to ask you, all right, what mm-hmm. made you, what made you an idealist? You know what? It is, um, 
and I know you call it idealism, but it really is my my family, my upbringing, my mom and my dad. Um, I they you know we I grew up in the South, and so and we know the the history of the South. But even growing up in that environment, my father and my mother make me think all things are possible. Like there is nothing that I couldn't achieve if I'm willing to work for. It. So I really grew up with that. And, you know, and I, I grew up believing that I had power, that it was within me, and it's part of my responsibility to add and improve this world. So it's just a deep value that has been placed in me since I was a child. And I thought everybody believed that. <laughs> so I, did, I didn't know what, I was an idealist. <laughs> I'm like, oh, everyone just didn't grow up that way? So I really did. And I'm sure my family instilled that in me because of the hardships that they encountered growing up in the Jim Crow South, that they didn't want me to believe that there were limits on my life. And so it's just a part of who I am. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that. In the next block, I'm going to be talking about my 15-year-old mentee. She's a biracial girl. I've been with her for mm -hmm. uh, seven years since she was mm. um, uh, we, through Big Brothers, Big Sister, aged out the program. But, you know, it's interesting you say that because she has a whole different take on the world. And her mm. take on the world is that she's not good enough. Her, oh, her, that's she's, heartbreaking. She's extremely, extremely smart. But her take mm. on the world is that um, she's not smart. Um, and I, I, I will never forget her saying to me, Ellie, why is it that it's always black men that they put on TV when they're looking mm -hmm. for the subjects, you know, uh, the su you know yep. suspects or when people have been, why is it always that? You know, and she mustn't have been mm. more than 10 years old when she said, and so the messaging that our young people get, particularly young women, black women, women of color, mm -hmm. The messaging from society is you aren't good enough, and oh, and that you yes. won't and that you won't succeed. Okay, mm -hmm. and so, I mean, all the more reason, Alberta, that you and other Black women, okay, are yes. out there leading. And all that I, I mean, just all I urge you to do is throw in something about mentoring and whatever you're talking about, okay? Because oh. we have to remind people that we have an obligation. It's not to sit around and watch TV. The obligation is to help the younger people in our country to to believe in themselves so that we can have a strong country later on. Okay, again, I'm starting to get on no, a soapbox. No, Ellie, we are in sync. <laughs> no, it's not a soapbox because I've been involved in education for a really long time, and that mentoring piece is critical. I've done a lot of work around that. Mm -hmm. It's critical. I worked, that was, I worked for an organization that you know focused on that as well, so I am so with you on that. And I will tell you that um, this is one of the things we hear when we run for office is that we are not enough. You can't win in the suburbs because you're black, Alberta. And I'm like, but I live here for 20-something years. Can't, I can't run here? And so, but if you tell me that, then everything, then you're telling the, the, my, I have a daughter. You're telling my Abs daughter that and all absolutely. the other black girls that. And I can't allow that because that's not, I, I, that's not something that I can buy into. I'm fortunate enough to have been raised in a place where the village told me something different. And so this village needs to start telling our young people something different. And so the other piece for us is that when we step out like this, we are deliberate and intentional about taking our young sisters by the hand and say, come on, you can come with me. We rise together. We, that's the collective piece. I cannot rise by myself. I cannot leave them behind. So as I go up, I take their hands. That's the responsibility oh. of us as black women. And we rise together. And so I would just say this to people. 
I love, as Barack Obama said, we have to do protest and politics. And for people who say Black Lives Matter, I want you to vote that way. I want you to forget about all the things that you've done in history and all the feelings you have about, oh, but, you know, I'm supporting this party. If you truly want change, you got to do something different. Hmm. And if we are willing to step out here and do something different, we're just asking the other people to do the same thing. You are right. You're absolutely right. And, you know, um, it's the... Well, we've run out of time, Alberta, but oh. listen, I could continue to talk to you for the next you know, <laughs> hour. All right. So if people want to find more out about you, we're, give them a, web, a website to go to. Okay. For my campaign personally, yep. you can go to GillespieForCongress.com. That's Gillespie, G-I-L-L-E-S-P-I-E, ForCongress.com. To see a list of some of the black women running for office. Go to blackwomanrising.net. Okay, that's great. Well, Alberta Gillespie, I have so enjoyed talking with you. And I wish you thank you, you. I wish you the best and just keep going, okay? Just absolutely thank keep going. <laughs> all right. Thank you. And Ellie, thank you so much for this opportunity and thank you for using your platform for giving voice to us. You're absolutely welcome. No, no question about it. All right. Well, listeners, we've got to take a break. Um, when we come back, I'll do my C block um, and we'll talk about my men, as I said. And uh, then it'll be in the end of another show. Okay. We'll be back in a second. Thanks. Branding Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. If you're looking to save money on your home or building improvement project, check out Better Futures Minnesota's reuse retail warehouse in South Minneapolis. We carry salvage building materials such as cabinetry, flooring, plumbing fixtures, appliances, lighting, and more, saving you money and saving the planet by keeping these items out of the landfill, by giving them another life. Selections change daily, and we also take donations. Go to BetterFuturesMinnesota.com and look under Reuse Warehouse to learn more. Let us know AM950 sent you. On AM 950 LE 2.0 Radio. Okay, Alberta Gillespie, please read up on her. <laughs> you might want to, when this goes to podcast, you might want to play again what she had to say. Because I think what we heard was really, really from the heart. <laughs> Refreshing. All right, well, we're in my C block where I talk about my work or a little bit about my world. And let me start with the common observation that we are all living through the pandemic. Um, here in Minnesota, um, you know, we're still very restrictive in a variety of ways. Um, and, you know, soon I suspect the state will have a statewide order for mask usage. Just do it. Let's just do it. Let's get it in place. Let's keep our lid on while other states are going crazy. We, of course, need to contrast that with what's happening in states like Florida, Texas, and Arizona, where the virus is spread out of control. Still, 
I have been largely isolating since March 13th. Yes, I come into the studio. Yes, I go to the grocery store. Until, though, um, about three weeks ago, I, that's all I was doing. But over the last three weeks, I've been playing what I call roulette. <laughs> you know, COVID roulette. Um, and I've been going out more um, because the, the isolation has just gotten to be too much. And frankly, it is so nice just for a change to sit in a restaurant outside, whatever, and, and be able to get a meal that I'd never cook, okay? As I've spoken about before, I'm a mentor to a biracial girl, Jasmine, we'll call her, who is now 15 years old. She's, I started with her through Big Brothers Big Sisters way back in 2012 when she was just seven. Um, until this week, I had been isolating even from her because she's not all that great on the telephone until yesterday um, when I saw her for the very first time since February. Um, we had just had very limited communication since uh, we went into lockdown. But a couple of nights ago, she called and asked if she could come over to my place. She's in summer school. Uh, she's finding it hard to study at home and wanted a quiet place to study. To be honest, I had to think about it. Um, she's had some contact with other teens. She lives in a whole different household. I had to run through my head what the odds were. But on the other hand, I also understand and know well that relationships need to be nurtured. And the longer you go without contact, the longer you go without interacting with someone face-to-face, -face, the greater the risk to the relationship. So I said yes. And she came over yesterday, and true to her word, she did her homework. I mean, I did have concerns whether she'd be hanging out in the guest bedroom just simply on her phone. But no, she stood. She sat at the kitchen table for several hours and did her homework. That gave me a chance to praise her. I was actually very, very proud of her um, because she is darn smart. She is. And I'm not just like, oh, you know, you say that about this kid from the – Literally, the first outing that we had when she was seven years old, I could tell that she was highly intelligent. I mean, we used to have this game of her reading. We're talking at seven years old, reading, um, you know, billboards on the highways we'd go by. And you know what? That kid was never missing a word at seven. But you know what? Jasmine doesn't believe that about herself. She does not believe that she is smart. She has never believed it. And as a result, she hasn't consistently applied herself and instead has sought to cut corners and often to just give up. Hence why I have stuck in as her mentor. I firmly believe that the reason for this is that others in her life don't talk about her intelligence, don't talk about how smart she is. And I also, because she identifies as black, she's biracial, but she identifies as black, the messaging from much of society is that she is not valued. You heard me and Alberta just talk about that. And when you hear that message in a variety of forms, it wears on you. It does. And for the white-colored people listening right now, I just think it is incredibly difficult for you to understand how you can get worn down by these implicit and sometimes explicit messages that you are not worthy. I wonder how many Jasmines exist in America who have great, great promise and who we lose because they lack self-confidence and self-respect. I would guess 
There are millions of Jasmines whom we lose. So yes, you are darn right. I am going to play roulette with the virus to be able to stand next to Jasmine, to tell her that I think that she's smart, that she's so smart that she should be at the top of her class rather than at the bottom of it. You are darn right I am going to tell her that. I'm also going to tell her that I care about her. Because I don't know how much she feels that in this world, people do care about her. Now, here's the part where I do my pitch to you. If any of you have Jasmines in your life, please take the time to mentor to them, to let them know that you care about them. Your message may be the only one of its kind that they will hear. Please do that. We are all in this together. We have forgotten that. And everything ripples to everything else. It does. Either in a positive way or in a negative way. We have to understand this and we have to do our part to change the way it is for the Jasmines of the world. Okay, been a great show. Um, I've been energized. I hope you have. I need to give a big thanks to our sponsors, Brending Electrolysis. Bev's back to work. Let her know uh, that I sent you because she does great work. And to Better Futures Minnesota, which gives people a second chance and that we need a whole lot more of as well. Big thanks to my producer, Brett Johnson. Brett, you are always right on the money, always great. And to my listeners, to all of you, go out there, do good. Tell people you care about them. Work to make this a better country. Because if you don't do it, who will? Okay. Thanks a lot. We'll see you next week. Ellie Krug with Ellie 2.0 Radio. Engaging and real.